Well, welcome back, Tiger fans, to Before the Box Score. I am your host, Nate Edwards, coming to you on this lovely Georgia game day week. Uh, coming off the bye week, trying to get out the schneid against, oh, you know, the one of the better teams in the country, the Death Star of the East, the Georgia Bulldogs. I am Jorn, joined, Jorn, Jorn, joined tonight uh, by a representative over at Dog Sports with uh, Nathan Loris, who is a contributor and podcast host over at Dog Sports. Uh, his show is Chapel Bell Curve. He was nice enough to have me on last night. He's returning the favor tonight. Mr. Lawrence, say hello to the people, sir. Uh, hello, people. It's good It's good to be here. Uh, we had a really great time last night uh, over in our digital space recording, and so I'm excited to be in your digital space uh, now, I suppose. Absolutely. And good news, Tiger fans. He is a huge fan of our dearly departed Bill C. Uh, so he is good people. Please be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bill C is, yeah, he's the bomb. He's the bomb. He's the bomb.com. Uh, so we are going to tackle, uh, pun intended, the Georgia Bulldogs today. A little bit of a preview, taking a look at what they're doing and what this game is going to look like. But I have to ask every person this, Nathan, who comes on the show, because all these SEC guys are coming in. We're still the new kids on the block. It's been eight years of Missouri being... Uh, an SEC affiliate with the patch on our jerseys. So after eight years, uh, what are your general thoughts about the Tigers? You know, I think it's interesting. I think for me and for many UGA fans, we have so many rivals that it's hard to be angry at you guys. I mean, it, it's it's not a lack of respect thing or anything. Every interaction I've had with a Missouri fan has been very positive. I just, I have so much hate in my heart for so many teams at all times that I can't really fit Missouri in in any given moment. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of respect. I think, you know, even I was at the first meeting there, I guess in 2012 at, uh, in Columbia. Mm -hmm. And that was like a really, I mean, it was the most cordial sec game I've ever been to. And I was in the band at the time and, you know, in the UGA band at the time. And, uh, we do not get mm -hmm. gentle receptions from most sec stadiums. And so, <laughs> Uh, it was a very good first impression. And I, th I think most Georgia fans generally pretty much like Missouri. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, Missouri's playing. Cool. Go SEC. Um, because one of the sort of quirks of being a UGA fan is that about five schools think that we're their number one rival um, <laughs> yeah. or number two rival. So between South Carolina, Auburn, Florida, Tennessee, and, you know, sometimes when Kentucky gets chesty, it's it's hard to have time to really have any Ooh. any vitriol left for you. In Missouri. <laughs> All right. So you can't hate us because there's not enough hate to give. I am 100% on board with that. I like that. Um, as a former band kid myself, I can certainly appreciate a warm and receptive crowd, uh, which can be rare. Um, but yeah, I, uh, all Georgia fans I've talked to have been super nice. And I remember uh, in 2012, I was at that game as well. And all the fans were like, you guys are too nice. Um, so I, I guess, I don't know. Are, are we too nice? I mean, I don't, I don't think you're too nice. I think it's more of a, um, you guys are socially well-adjusted people with senses, with like normal <laughs> human senses of morality, and and I think uh -huh. our standard. I mean, when you go to a visiting stadium in the SEC, there's just a certain amount of like, well, I might get a stadium cup full of bourbon and coke thrown at me. That's just you, you just yeah. accept that when you go into any stadium, especially because mm. you know, Georgia fans have a reputation as being a little bit. Um, unpleasant at times 
uh, among other okay. fan bases in the SEC, uh, especially mm-hmm. among fan bases that don't like us. So there is a certain amount of just like, well, there's just a possibility that some frat boy is going to start a fight with me at any given moment. So uh, when you go to when you go yeah. to Como and everyone's just polite and they're like, hey, we have good pizza. It's just very it's very refreshing, <laughs> actually. So I have to ask now I'm curious of your five main rivals, apparently uh, to you, which one is your chief rival? Oh, it's Florida and it's not close. I, I hate oh, Florida. Wow. Yeah, it's not it's not even it's not even a concern now, and I think that that's a that's a that's a question that causes some consternation among the UGA fan base. If you ask most people my age, I'm 31 right now, and most people between my age and I guess current college students would say Florida. People a little bit older than me, like Peyton Manning era, would say Tennessee. There are some people mm. who think Clemson is one of our bigger rivals, and we don't even play them anymore. Uh, there's mm. just a lot of hate. I mean, you know, older people in their 60s think it's Auburn. Um, but <laughs> I came of age in the Tim Tebow era and as a former oh. band kid, yeah, as a former band kid, you'll know that, uh, the band doesn't leave. So all of yeah. those Tim Tebow losses, I just, I just took those right in the face, man. I, I could oh, not leave. Boy. I just sat there and I had to keep playing, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, I, I think generally speaking, most younger UJ fans would say it's Florida. I, I, I would, right. I would, if I could trade this weekend, like if I knew I could trade a loss this weekend for five more wins against Florida, I would do it in a second. Like, and if we lose this weekend, it's going to ruin our season, but I would still do it. <laughs> you hear that, sports gods? You can give us this one. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. No, no, no. Like, if you tell me right now, eight in a row against Florida, like, and I have to lose <laughs> to Missouri right now, like, I'll I'll go. I've been to the Gator Bowl before. It ain't no big deal. Hey, the- <laughs> oh, that's okay. Wow. That is, that is some that is some spicy vitriol. I, I enjoy that. Um, so speaking of the Missouri-Georgia matchup, We've got we got one we got Uno Uno win over you guys. Uh, it was in your house in 2013. Um, where 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 were you at the 2013 game, and what were your thoughts when Missouri came away with a win? I was there as well. That was my first year as a grad student at UGA. Um, I mm-hmm. oh man, I I cannot remember his name. I just I remember well one I remember James Franklin. Um, which was really funny because at the time it was very confusing to have a quarterback named James Franklin. Yeah, and yeah. two, I remember that you guys won. I mean, basically the go the 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 score that put it over away was like a halfback pass, I think. Oh, uh, it was called the Colt Forty Five, where our wide receiver Bud Sasser caught Bud it. Bud Sasser, flip. yeah, yeah, Bud yeah. Sasser on the flip, yeah. That yeah. I remember that. I remember. Um, I just remember that was a time, you know, in the sort of Mark Richt era. One of the death knells of the Mark Richt era actually was the fact that Mark Richt could not find a, a defensive coordinator who could defend against a running quarterback. And so even mm-hmm. all the way back to 2013, that was, the, that was one of the, that was another time that people who hated Mark Rick would be like, look at it. Anytime a running, a quarterback can run, we instantly lose, which I mean, was kind of true. <laughs> this was, this was keep in mind like a year after we had lost to one of our former cornerbacks running like basically the, the wing T oh, offense at Auburn. Right. So we were, yeah. we were like 11 months out from the prayer of Jordan Hare at that moment. So, um, that was the main thing. And it, and that's the crazy thing. Like even in that win, it was more of like a, it was more used as like a, you know, a, a sign of where we were as a program, even in that win, mm-hmm. I don't remember any, anybody being like, and I hate those, those border rating SOBs up in Missouri. I think people were mostly just like, well, I think we have to fire Mark Rick now. Right. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> man. Oh, we do have that impact on people. It's like, well, we lost you. Okay. Well, Let's reassess us. Um, so, okay. Well, that, that was good. I was sitting at home on my couch, um, 
having a grand old time. So because uh, then, yeah. then that game, that game put you guys in the SEC in the in the championship, or was that the next year that you guys went? No, that was that year. Yeah. Um, you know, getting getting the win over you guys uh, really kind of put us to the forefront, uh, and then beating the hell out of Florida, and. And finally putting away Johnny and Texas A&M in the last game. That's what got us there. So yeah. um, thank you for contributing to a magical season. We well, appreciate you're, it. You're welcome. It, it was it was, <laughs> it was was our pleasure. I, I mean, again, seriously, even in that losing year, I, I was walking out of that stadium, and Georgia fans tend to be pretty sort of like, well, whenever we lose, there's not a lot yeah. of anger. you know. And so I was walking out of the stadium, and not a single person was like, oh, Missouri. Everybody was just like, well, this is where we are now. This is who we are. We are a, we are an eight and four team. Okay. Oh man. Well, you you also had like half a roster. I remember everybody was injured. Yeah, it was it was um, not a great season. It was not a great day. And you know, our like arguably the greatest modern Georgia quarterback, Aaron Murray, threw two picks, and it was oh, it was God. not great. It was not a good day for you guys. I agree. Um, so now we're in the Kirby Smart era, who did replace Mark Rick back in 2016. Um, and when he came over, he came over with uh, two pretty big name uh, coordinators, Jim Cheney on the offensive side and uh, Mel, T- Mel Tucker on the defensive side. Now, both of those guys are gone. And and personally, I think Jim Cheney is one of the best offense coordinators out there. Uh, but I know it, it seemed that he had some friction kind of towards the end of his tenure um, with you guys. So I guess what were your feelings on him leaving for Tennessee? And what's your grade on his replacement, James Coley? Oh boy, uh, we we've got about like five hours in the bank over at Chapel Bell Curve. If you want to hear my full on take on this, oh boy. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I do I do agree. I think that I think that Jim Cheney is a, a very good play caller. I think that for the most part that he has a good feel for you know just how to change up formations. He likes you know Cheney's one of those guys like his rep is that he'll change the he'll change the offense based on what he does. On, on who he has mm-hmm. and, and that that kind of mm-hmm. proved true in his time i would point out in his three years here he had like you know four first first or second round running backs so like i don't know how hard it was um so it, it's like i'm pretty sure i could call peewee ball plays for a backfield that has nick chubb and sony michelle in it but that's neither here nor there um mm-hmm. i you know i think the real friction was cheney and this is actually kind of a problem that's continued under coley is more situational game calling so you know the the most famous example of this being uh last year in the florida game when we had like seven cracks uh from the one at uh from florida's one and ended up being held to a field goal Mm -hmm. and and it's it's not so much it we we talk a lot about like derivation in um in chapel booker which is to say like I don't mind that you want to run like inside zone or you want to run like power or ISO in that moment, but you have to then have a second option to run out of that same formation as a fake off of it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. Cheney and I, Cheney was a guy when he was at Georgia that would just stick to his guns on stuff like that. And it's like, well, listen, man, if we're going to put eight people within three yards of the the center, they're probably going to have 10 people there. And, and no matter how good the offensive line is, that's not going to work. And that's kind of, it's hard for me to really gauge Cheney or Coley because that's been a problem that's consent that's continued under Coley. And I'm starting to wonder if that is a sort of like b- by design Kirby smart thing. I, I don't, um, you know, I think there are some people in to, to transition to Coley. There are some people in UJ's fan base who will tell you right now that they want to fire Coley. I would say that there, you know, Coley is the kind of offensive coordinator that when he's on, he's really on. I mean, he, he, mm-hmm. There were times when he was calling plays against Florida where it seemed like the only thing that could slow down the offense was, you know, either the refs was basically the refs. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
but when he's off, you know, he he he's very formation specific. Um, and he at sometimes we will become predictable pre-snap, which is what I think happened in the first half of the Florida game was that I, I mean, I can give you like three or four individual uh individual formations that he likes to run certain plays out of in certain situations. Like if we line up, if we line up uh two by one shotgun with a tight uh with a tight tight end that then flexes out to make it a three by one, we're almost always gonna run inside zone read into that on early downs, on standard <laughs> downs. Like it is like interesting. It is like clockwork, right? And so that's that's sort of like I think the main knock against James Coley is not it, it's just a sense of predictability and a sense of like, well, we know there's more to this offense, but like where is it? And I, I think that's the biggest frustration right now. Is that I mean, yes. So so Kirby Smart obviously comes from Nick Saban. <coughs> Georgia looks a lot like Alabama did in 2011, 2012, where it was just kind of, you know, just run, 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 run. Make sure your defense doesn't get put in a bad position. So, you know, there's there's been a noticeable lack of downfield passing for Georgia this year and a lot of short passes, easy passes, and a lot of runs. Is that because of the personnel at hand or is that because of Kirby Smart? It sounds like you're leaning more towards well Kirby being the problem and whoever is OC, it doesn't really matter. Well, yes and no, right? Because I think you're you're right. There is a personnel thing, right? You, you lose one of the hallmarks of this team coming in this year was depth at wide receiver, right? But we all assumed that that depth was going to be led by Jeremiah Holloman. And when you you know, who uh, caught a domestic charge and of course, rightfully so got mm-hmm. kicked off the team. Um, mm-hmm. But when that happens, you know, your depth is only so good as your top, right? Like we say that you have depth. When we, when we talk about death, we're talking about like an abstract injury throughout the season, or we're talking about like, you know, picking up for people who have bad seasons. But we always, I think in our, and, and this is a mistake I made in my preseason analysis kind of just was like, well, it's kind of like, we know we have a wide receiver one. And so whatever happens behind that, we'll figure it out because we got like 10 guys who can fill that spot. But when you lose sure. your wide receiver one, like, you know, a month before the season, you're you're never going to, your passing is going to suffer. So I think to be fair to Kirby and to James Coley, you know, there have been, there has been quite a bit of just like, well, who do you want us to throw it to? Because there's, there's some spots where we're kind of thin. Um, I will say that I, I, I do sort of agree that, you know, Kirby subscribes to the idea that if you run the ball enough, that that has a sort of aggregate body blow theory sort of effect on a team. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and look to his credit though, it's worked like when, when it works, that's won him a lot of games. Right. And even at Georgia, it's won him a lot of games, even against Florida, even against Kentucky in games where it sucked and it looked ugly and the aesthetics were bad. When you have five guys uh, on the offensive line who are all going to be probably first or second day draft picks in the NFL, that that it do, it will work. The problem is when that doesn't work, what is the plan, right? And so that's kind of been the offense, <laughs> right. right? I mean that was that was the problem with South Carolina, right? So when you when you when your mm-hmm. plan A is gone, what's your plan B? And I mean, mm-hmm. and I mean to be to be fair, South Carolina is like how many times are you going to have? We, we I think we were down eleven points on turnover luck in that game, which I know is something that uh, Missouri fans are you are sort of like painfully aware <laughs> of this year. Yes. Um, yes. But I mean, I don't know, man. I, I I would probably give James Coley like a C plus B minus at this point in the year. I think he's done a pretty good job. Okay. Um, but mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really hard to make a decision on it until we see Kirby hire a different kind of offensive coordinator. Sure. 
And, you know, if you, you give credit and, you, you know, where it is, you blame, you credit, all that stuff. And, and really, the, the strength of this team has been the defense. And, you know, Mel Tucker and Kirby Smart fielded some awesome defenses. And yet this one, now that, that Mel's gone, it almost seems like this might be the best defense that Georgia's had since Kirby's been there. Um, so I guess my question for you is, does – and this is more, I guess, you know, you kind of – guessing because i'm assuming you're not in the in the huddles or anything like that but is this mostly just kirby's defense and it doesn't matter who the coordinator is um or or is it actually have some say from the actual dc well yeah dan lanning who is the current i i think yes and no i i think that uh philosophically this is definitely kirby's defense right we're gonna play match we're gonna play mat uh pattern match coverage right we're gonna uh try to get as much length on the field we're gonna as we can we're gonna rotate a lot but i think uh individual play in and play out that laning does have quite a bit of say this year um either by design or just by necessity georgia has really rotated a lot in ways that they have not in the past like a third a, hmm. a pretty fearsome third down package what you will see is that when an opponent's offense is not going quick against uga's defense this year they will just run like six guys in on third down uh Jeez. yeah no and and that and i think that is sort of like the defensive version of uh, Kirby's offensive philosophy is that, you know, you're running in, uh, you know, on third down, you're running in a guy like Nolan Smith, who was the number one overall recruit last year, who's like a, you know, 6'5", 240 pound outside linebacker who doesn't really know how to play college football right now, but he runs like a 4'4", and he's 6'5", right? So you just kind of point him at the quarterback, right? Or you run in like, yeah. you run in Trayvon Walker, who was like a 270 pound 6'5", guy who runs like a 4'5", and you put him at like 3'4", defensive mm. end. He doesn't have to know mm-hmm. anything other than run, find guy, right, at that point. So yeah. um, I think that Laning has had that kind of effect on the defense i think that we you know this is not a defense that's going to bring a lot of pressure other than here and there um and i think that's probably a landing thing uh but but at the end of the day like that the core of this defense i think and and this is kind of an eye test thing but i think it's held up in the numbers is that this defense just has speed at every position all 11 positions you've got Mm -hmm. dudes who can run all the positions you've got big dudes you know dj daniel who is a uh juco transfer cornerback that's pl- that's starting right now in place of an injury has sort of been knocked for being too short in the cornerback room but he's like 511 he's six he's six one from the uh, from the program that i saw like that's a that's a tall corner. yeah exactly so it, it like he was he when dj daniel's on the field he is like noticeably the shortest cornerback on the field right because you have like you know uh eric stokes who is like cb1 is like six one and a half then you've got devod wilson who can't even get on the f- field who's six two mark webb who's a converter <laughs> wide receiver is six three you know so it's like the the sort of hallmark of this defense is that they don't get a lot of havoc you don't see a lot of turnovers there's not a lot of sacks but they just have so much speed that you only have to make one mistake right like See, yeah, and that's that's what Alabama did in the early years when they weren't running that up tempo offense. It was just a cloud defense that you know, yeah, you got the ball, yeah, you got past the line, but then that was it. And and it seems like that's exactly what Kirby's doing: run, 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 play that cloud defense, that swarming defense, and just limit what you do. And it's so effective. Yeah, I mean, and that and that's the thing is that we've been talking about is despite the last of South Carolina, despite the aesthetics, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. The, the numbers like this Georgia team more than people do for, for a variety of yes. reasons. And I, and I think that has something to do with it is that, you know, if you watch Georgia's defense against Florida, there were not, I mean, there were two sacks, but there weren't any picks and it wasn't like there were a lot of negative plays. It was just like, well, 
uh, they ran it up the middle for one yard. Well, that's not technically a negative yeah. play, but it kind of kills the drive, right? And then, and if, if Georgia can get you to third down and bring in this sub package that they're running, they it's not even that they're going to get a sack it's just that there's so much speed there's a lot of times where you'll see opposing quarterbacks just sort of stand back there like well like that this is that, that's kind of why we won the notre dame game was that ian book would just drop back and just be like well i guess here i am <laughs> like yeah yeah i mean yeah you guys are, are dynamite on third down my defensive preview goes up uh tomorrow and i just like missouri is awful at third downs and you guys are excellent and i'm like all right so the the goal is to not beat in third down because that would basically just yeah if you, if you want to beat this team you got to stay ahead of the chains for sure yeah yeah and we're not very good at doing that so um but yeah it's 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 incredible and and i do think it aesthetically it's not that great i do think from a tactic standpoint it it can it can certainly work and put teams away. It also has a tendency to have teams hang around. Um, so I don't necessarily agree with it, but God, if you're, you know, what are you, you've lost five games in, in four years or something like that. Like, okay, clearly it works. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with, with the talent at hand. Um, and Kirby has shown that he is just as good a recruiter as Nick Saban is. And when you have four and five star kids, uh, you can run just about anything, like you said, um, and have some success. So it seems like every Georgia player is just some four-star or five-star kid that everybody was raving about in high school. But obviously there's got to be some under-the-radar guys that maybe casual fans don't know about. So what are some under-the-radar Georgia players that we should look out for uh, in making an impact this this Saturday? Yeah, okay, so by star rating i think the the biggest standout there is is got to be eric stokes eric stokes number 27 he's the he's the sort of shutdown corner he's a three-star kid out of college or out of high school who has just turned into sort of like the second coming of deandre baker he's not quite he's oh not quite deandre baker like he'll give up some yards but he is fast he's tenacious and he's gotten to the point where he's at the level of cornerback well he'll he'll like bait people into making throws now He's at that level, Ooh, like college guys who will just stand off and just be like, okay, yeah, just throw it. That's fine. And then he'll just get in there. Um, <laughs> I think another uh, defensively, you got to look at Jordan Davis. He was a four-star coming out, so he's obviously a highly rated recruit. But he is, you know, he is one of those dudes who is just, he's not a Terrence Cody type at nose tackle. You know, he's like 6'6", 320, but he's not like a giant of a man. But he's just so fast and he's so incredibly disruptive. And there will be times where he does not, seem to affect the play on the stat sheet but he will just sort of like put a hand on the court on the center and on the guard and just totally blow up the interior protection that's going on um Jeez. jordan davis is sort of i think in many ways the anchor that makes this entire defense run because if you can just rush four and have a guy that takes up two to three blocks on every play you're, you're going to have numbers advantages elsewhere on the field um offensively mm -hmm. it's got to be i mean this has been well publicized but lawrence cager he's a senior grad transfer from Miami, yeah. he he's he's one of those wide receivers of which I know that Missouri has had a few where, you know, you look at his you look at his numbers, you know, he's like six two, he's pretty fast. He doesn't seem to be like, you know, just eye test wise, he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that's going to dominate you, but he's just a savvy route runner. He's got really good game speed and he just has caught everything that's been thrown to him. I think he has uh, this is off the top of my head, but I think he's he's it, got an 86 yeah, like 18 for 21 right yep. now. And and those three mm -hmm. those three quote unquote you know drops those incompletions like two of them were over his head where he was just the closest guy and the other one was a contested <laughs> oh, ball man. with like you know the quarterback's hand in his face the dude has just been a hundred percent money on just pretty much everything that's been thrown his way another guy offensively that I think it's important to know um, 
DeAndre Swift is obviously the the headliner at running back, but you know Brian Harrion, he's a senior. He was lightly recruited because of some academic issues coming out of Douglasville and caught in uh, Georgia, but has turned into sort of just kind of a do everything guy. Um, and mm-hmm. there is not to in my I, I from what I can see, you know, play calling wise, I don't think that the coaches really think that there is much difference between the two of them when they put them on the field. They seem very comfortable running either one of those two wow. guys out there at any given moment. Um, Swift is quite a bit more explosive, but Harrion is just the kind of guy who is fast enough, strong enough, big enough. Um, and is a serious threat to catch out of the backfield that he can pretty much do it all. Um, I, you know, I mean, and obviously a lower rated player, but Rodrigo Blankenship, the kicker is oh, yeah. <laughs> hot rod Rod-ed. is he is, he is a man into himself, man. <laughs> it is, that is like the second I saw him, I was rooting yeah, for he's, him and I just, he had, I, he had know. A tr- I, I know that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Sorry. I was just going to say like the glasses, it has to be the glasses. And like, I just, everything about the kid, I'm just, I just root for him. And it feels like an underdog story, even though he's like on the best team in the country, but I yeah, still he, he's, him. he's got that plucky underdog spirit. One more guy I will say that, and this is uh, a deeper cut, but uh, Malik Herring, he plays defensive tackle mm-hmm. uh, number 10. He is, he is a sneakily disruptive guy. He is, He's he's a very big glue guy on the defensive line. And Malik Herring is one of those guys that when he gets going, he'll just have three or four plays where he'll just blow the play up because he's so big. He's so quick um, and he's not fat. You know, he's like 280 pounds, but he, there's not an ounce of fat on him. And uh, Herring was one of the guys who we were in the front row at the Florida game and he ran towards us and did like a, a cartwheel into a backhand spring at like six, five two sixty. Yes. Um, but I, I, he is another definite, I think, glue guy on this defense. Also, I love any lineman with a number that's less than thirty. Yeah. Like that, it just pulls on my heart. That's a, that's a very that Missouri straight. number thing. The the low number, the lumber. It is. Yeah, we got some weird. Yeah. yeah, we've had some weird D lineman numbers, and I, it's oh, it's 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 a personal fave of mine. So I love it that he's wearing ten. Um. Okay. So. I think we all know how this is going to play out, but just just to entertain it. Let's go. Let's do our little breakdown on the game. Uh, what does Georgia? What is Georgia winning the game? What does that look like? Is there a specific stat that they need to hit? Do they like more plays run or yards rushing or field position? Uh, what What does a Georgia win look? Well, like? Well, I think I think a Georgia win. Okay, so I think I try to think of things in sort of like uh, confidence bands, right? The thing that I'm most comf- like I, the most likely Georgia win, I think, is Georgia just wins time of possession. Maybe their running game statistically doesn't look very good, but they get enough out of their running game. Jake Fromm makes some timely throws, and they just sort of like boa constrictor and wet blanket the hell out of this game. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. probably your 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 sort of most likely scenario. In that instance, statistically, I'd be looking for things like obviously time of possession, but I'd also be looking for like number of three and outs, uh, plays ran, you know, mm-hmm. just what's your average yards per attempt from Jake Fromm when he averages over like. 8.9 yards i think we're like 20 and one or something like that 25 and one or something wow. it's, it's pretty or yeah it, he's lost like two games when he's thrown for that well um mm-hmm. but i think that you know a slightly less likely to happen in georgia win but there is there is a likelihood is if georgia can run the ball on you the way they want to they're going to just pull you out and i i don't think that's very likely because mm-hmm. i think this missouri defense is very well coached and has a lot of talent but you know, if Missouri doesn't come to play or if 
you know, through attrition or just whatever's in the water that day, if Georgia can average, you know, five, six yards per carry against you, they are a team that is built to just smother you. Uh, that that is that is what they want to do. Kirby Smart is very happy to run the ball forty five times, and if you can't and if you can't stop oh, yeah. it, that's you know that's that's a big deal. So I think really the biggest difference between like a close Georgia win and a Georgia blowout would be something like line yards per carry. If Georgia's if Georgia's getting mm-hmm. over something like three point eight four line yards per carry, where they're just getting a clean chunk every play, they will do that to you and until the game's over. They they are a hundred percent comfortable with that. God, they. Yeah, if they're averaging four yards on line per carry, uh, Missouri has not allowed that this year. I I don't remember the last time Missouri has allowed that. So yeah, that would be an absolute just devastating win. Yeah, I I don't I don't think that's I that's less about Missouri and more just like if when Georgia yeah, blows people yeah. out, that's what they do. Well, and and see that's the thing. Like you all have had your sneaky loss already. Um, I know a lot of people are pointing to, oh, it's a trap game because you got Auburn. And I'm like, no, you guys can clinch the East <laughs> with this win. So, and, and then keep yourself in playoff contention. So I, there is no doubt in my mind that we are not sneaking up on you. But if those Missouri boys go in and win, it's your place for a second time. Other than turnovers, because we saw that with Gamecocks. Other than turnovers, what does a Missouri win look like? Well, I think you have to you have to exploit the fact that this defense doesn't give a lot of havoc, right? So I think any team that wants to, wants to beat this team has got to ha- has got to be explosive because this team is very good at not surrendering explosive plays and they're very good at playing efficiency, but they, they are not the kind of team that's going to bring six. So you have to either pop off a couple of big run plays. Yeah. You, you have to keep pressure on this team because this team is sort of built to lean on you, right? And so you have to put them in a situation where they can't lean on you. And one of the ways to do that is just to score. Um, I think if, you know, Kelly Bryant comes out and has a really good day and throws for a couple of touchdowns, if they if you keep the game close in the first half, you're in better shape. And, you know, teams have done that against Georgia, but the, the key is you got to keep the game close and then you got to get to the third quarter and have the horses to continue running against Georgia. Because mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the hallmarks of the Kirby Smart era is that they have... They, they average about 10 to 15% higher success rate in the third quarter than they do in any other quarter. And they, and, they, and they allow about 8 to 9% less in the third quarter. So they will go in, make adjustments, and come out and just talent you to death. So I think, I think really what Missouri has to do is keep the game close. If, you, if this is a four-point Georgia lead at halftime, seven-point whatever, I think you're you're actually in pretty good shape because at that point you're in a situation where one heroic Kelly Bryant play can break the game, right? Mm-hmm. You, you you just have to sort of like survive, get get in a position where you can put more pressure on Georgia because th- this is not a team that is designed, you know, Georgia is not a team that's designed to score forty points. Yeah. Um. So and I don't know that you necessarily have to score forty points, but if you score twenty and start putting pressure on them, then that's when I think you can put them in a position where. It, the talent disadvantage matters less, right? Because mm-hmm. if Georgia can play a game where the talent advantage matters, where they just are run you to death, right? And you just don't touch the ball, right? That's the fate. That's the, that is the Kirby smart thing is there's nine minutes left in the game. Kirby smarts gets the ball and he's like, we're going to just, we're going to just hold this ball until the game's over. Right. Yeah. That is like the most Kirby smart thing. So you have to, you have to put pressure on him. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see if we can, I, I guess the, the last thing and, I always tell everybody, you're in Tiger country, but you can do whatever you want. 
I want a prediction from you. It doesn't have to be final score, but it can be. You can predict a particular stat line, uh, if we cover or not, whatever you want. What is your prediction for this game? I think this is going to be the kind of game where just everyone, it's very unpleasant for everybody in the first half. Ooh, I agree. I think I think Missouri's defense is well coached. I think, um, you know, we talked about yesterday about how they run the 4-2-5. I think that puts them in a good position to just sort of blanket what Georgia wants to do offensively and, you know, do a, a bunch of run blitzes from the safety position. I expect we'll see quite a bit of that. Um, I think this is going to be just pure misery for everyone involved because it's supposed to be like 30 degrees outside and Georgia people don't do well with that. Um, <laughs> I, I ultimately think this is going to be a game where, you know, some key injuries and coupled with the talent disadvantage is going to make a game that goes from like four, six points, three to seven points kind of thing in the first half. And I don't, I don't know that Georgia is going to blow Missouri out, but I do think that it'll be a game in the fourth quarter where, where Georgia holds on to a not comfortable, but um, not crapping their pants win, if that makes sense. I it think does. this is, I, I think this S&P plus has, this as like a 17 point win. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I trust this offense enough to say that that's going to be a 17 point margin unless we win win 17 to nothing. Um, I, I, but I definitely could see something like 24 to 10. Um, you know, I think in my official prediction, I said something like 31, 20. I think okay. that kind of, that feels right to me, you know, just a game where both teams score a couple of t- touchdowns and then it's just a field goal fest. Uh, and then maybe mm-hmm. Georgia Georgia scores the decisive touchdown sometime late in the third quarter, just by the virtue of having you know nine SEC starting uh, you know quality offensive linemen. Yeah, God, if we put up twenty, uh, that would be a win because <laughs> we played Vandy and Kentucky and we put up seventeen total. So, um, yeah, right. And 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 I will say like. Most of that comes a out of respect for the defense and b just because Georgia has been sort yeah. of offensively stymied. If Georgia has yet to play a complete game on the season, and if you're Kentucky, what you have to be worried about is is this the weekend where it happens? Because this is a game. I think this is a team on paper that is capable of beating Kentucky like forty-five to ten. We yeah. haven't seen that team yet, right? So it's just it's just a question of whether or not that happens. We'll see. I know for your sakes, you're hoping it doesn't happen, but. Uh... Who knows? Crazier things have happened when Missouri plays Georgia. Uh, but, Nathan, thank you very much for for jumping on and, and sharing all of your insight with uh, with the Bulldogs. Oh, well, it's, it's been my pleasure, and uh, I really love everything that you guys do. Rock M Nation is sort of like the, the cradle of uh, what SBN does, and so it's, it's very cool to talk to you. Uh, it's great to have you on as well. Uh, we appreciate your insights. And, Tiger fans, Let's uh, let's keep our fingers crossed, our toes crossed. Maybe we see something good happen. Who knows? But you got to watch to see what's going to happen. So uh, 6 o'clock Saturday night in Sanford Stadium. Missouri takes on Georgia. Hopefully the good guys win. But uh, if not, well, at, least, at least we'll cover. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, I will be better next week as well. But until then, MIZ. Mm-hmm.